0: Hello and welcome to How to Build a Village. Joining me is novelist and journalist Sarah Saltoon, who worked as journalist and media executive at CNN International and has traveled the world as a journalist for more than fifteen years, and has now pivoted into successful novelist and has also sold the TV rights to her upcoming book, The Source. So, welcome, Sarah. Thank you very much. What an intro. I and my listeners would love to hear about your transition into novelist and about your book. Uh, Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Jill. Thank you.
1: I was a journalist for 15 years. It's an incredibly rewarding career.
0: I didn't necessarily
1: want to give it up, but I wanted to try and do something with more emphasis on the creative. And I'd had a little idea building for quite some time. So I just took the jump and left my job and did a uh, master's in creative writing which helped me you know make a commitment of time to seeing if i could get this idea off the ground more than anything else and three years later i did manage to write it (laughs) extraordinarily i just still don't quite know how i've done it and got an agent and the agent sold it and here we are so i've written a thriller which is effectively about the notion of truth and the consequences of abusing information, which is a bit of a response to how I see journalists that are becoming legitimate targets now, with Donald Trump, who now has not been re-elected, but for the period of his presidency, was presenting facts as alternative. And... Mm -hmm. um, Weaponizing information to the point where it was quite difficult for journalists to do their jobs in America. And it was also a response to some abuse scandals that happened here in the UK, the grooming rings in Rochdale, Rotherham and Telford. So I just kind of fictionalised all that and wrote uh, a thriller set in a newsroom. And I hope everyone who reads it enjoys it. I'm not sure it's light reading, but I certainly hope it will be thought provoking and challenge a few preconceptions about The importance of how we present
0: information and why. How long did it take you to come up with the idea and then turn it into the book? Well the idea was a bit of a work in progress. You know I sort of had the kernel
1: of something which was I wanted to explore truth within a newsroom setting and it's so traditionally explored at the moment in drama in police departments or legal departments and to me I I mean I love those dramas and I love those books but the poli- police it's not always about getting to the to exactly what happened it's about a solve and legal departments it's not always about justice it's about winning the case whereas mm. you know the anti journalism brigade might tell you that it's not about the truth either but it is it's about the facts and putting the facts first so i wanted to set something within a ju- within the newsroom environment and explore it that way So that was the sort of kernel that I had. And then it just sort of evolved. You know, I got this piece of advice quite early on, which was you just have to sit down every day and spend some time with your story. Try and write a thousand words at a time. And don't panic if you don't know what's happening, because it will reveal itself to you the more time you spend thinking about it. And that was absolutely true for me. I sat down and I just started and it was complete rubbish when I started like real rubbish like word vomit made no sense Mm. but I just kind of got off the diving board and started swimming and then you know you you get 10,000 words 15, 20, 25, 30 and before you know it you've kind of told yourself the story and you're at the end and then you go back to the beginning and think okay like this doesn't work I'm going to fix it by doing this and I'm going to fix it by doing that and once you have the words on the page it's much easier to 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 create something proper from it.
0: I mean, so how how would you find the experience of writing your novel was different from your work writing as a journalist and the other hats you wore at CNN? Because of course, you did more than just oh, so writing.
1: different. So you know, you, you, you're rooted to the factual experience in journalism. So, you know, you come back with a story and your editor would say, well, it's a bad story. Like, find better characters to tell your story. And you'd have to go out and find better characters to tell the story that you were trying to tell. It wasn't so much about the story you wanted to tell. The story was what the facts said it was. Mm-hmm. You just had to find a way of telling the viewer about it in the most compelling way possible. And that was often constrained by time, by sometimes safety issues, sometimes by the people that you met and how they told you their story. This is completely different. If it do- there, was, there was no excuse for it to be bad. You just had to change it or make it up or, well, that doesn't work. Well, why is that person doing this? Because it's not compelling or interesting. So make it up. And so it took me quite a while to kind of free myself from that journalistic head I had been wearing for so long. And say to myself, well, I don't know why you're persisting with this particular storyline because it's just rubbish and it's not. And then, you know, and then it was only after a good few months in the chair that I kind of realised you just have to make stuff up hand over fist until it is good enough. It's quite hard for journalists to make that leap of faith, I think. But once you've made it, it's really liberating. And my, my agent said to me at one point when he didn't like something I'd done he said, you know, Sarah, you know, you're writing commercial fiction. You're not writing for a newspaper. There's really no excuse for there to be no tension in this part of your book. And I thought, that's right. (laughs) There's really no excuse. Whereas you would never have those conversations on the journalism side. You know, you might say that someone had told a story and you know, if someone hadn't come back with, meeting the right people you would send them back out again but you you wouldn't you, you know it, it would be a test of your it would be so much more of a test of your creativity journalistically because you would have to do stuff do the best with what you had whereas in, conversely it's an equal test of your creativity but in a completely different way it's a test of your imagination you know how do you make something better how do you make something even more compelling while still being authentic
0: So how did it help you having this journalistic background, having traveled all over the world and told stories to tons of viewers? How did that experience help or inform? There was, I
1: suppose, two key ways. The first is, like I just said, you know, you have to work very hard as a journalist to A, do the news gathering. So you get the information, the, the, the accurate information that you need with which to build your story. But then you have to tell it in the best way possible. And sometimes the raw materials, they just may not be there in the same way that they are in different stories. Some stories are just sort of inherently more interesting than others and easy enough to take a point of view like that of a kind of traumatized family and tell the story through their eyes. I'm not suggesting that's easier because it's obviously incredibly painful and harrowing and you're not trying to make light of someone else's experience, but it's very easy for your viewer to identify with that. It's less easy for you're to find a way into a story about plastic sometimes. So you have to work really, really hard. And that's very good training when you go into fiction, you know, you've, you've had to do it in real life. So it's an invaluable grounding in that way. And secondarily, because I had traveled an enormous amount and, you know been in situations that perhaps the average person might not have been you just have this wealth of experience to draw on so you can set a story really realistically I think in far flung locations in a way that other people can't because they haven't you know you've got to go there and eat the food and smell the air and meet the people before you can write about it authentically even in fiction if you want your fiction to really resonate and be believable you've got to immerse yourself in it and I suppose I've just been very fortunate that I've already done that whereas people who haven't who choose to write about it are more of a standing
0: start in that way and would you say using that experience does it make you which lifestyle do you prefer now or or are they totally different you know the the oh
1: it's really year. hard to the problem is is that the the you know hard news journalism whether you're in the field or in management it's it's a very unforgiving environment you know you 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 can't really plan your life to any degree And, you know, you're making and breaking plans the whole time. You're letting people down the whole time. You it's very hard to juggle family life, but it's incredibly rewarding and incredibly seductive way to be. So it's just a real balancing act. The life that I lead now is incredibly solitary from time to time and similarly unforgiving in that, you know, you'll go months without any feedback and months without anything particularly positive happening and you just have to kind of get up and put your head in the game and sit down and write and then you finish and there's no one in the room with you and no one cares about what you've written and the walls are talking to you and it's very quiet and your children come home and say can I have a snack (laughs) so you know they're like chalk and cheese and I don't know that I would pick one over the other I just think from my personal position I had three small children and you know, a, a partner who worked very hard too. And the news environment was getting harder and harder to balance. So it made sense for me at the time to try something new. I'm sure there'll come a time where this is a little bit too solitary for me and similarly unforgiving, but in a completely different way. At the moment, it suits me better. But I, I, I loved working in news. I miss it every day. I deal with missing it by writing about it. And like everything, it's just about trying to find a balance with your personal life, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And How did you decide where to set the source? And did how did your background inform that?
1: Oh, I don't know. that That is real. The source, the thing about the source is so much of it was um, luck rather than judgment. <laughs> um, I wanted to write about power and institutions and how dangerous it is when institutions abuse power so I tried to pick the most symbolic institutions in the United Kingdom and use them as the sort of the characters almost in the story so of course I picked the military and I picked you know Westminster and Whitehall um other more experienced novelists might see them as a little crude but as a beginner I just thought you know go big or go home and do something that's incredibly obvious in that way. And then I just made up stuff hand over fist, really, Um, and went from there. And I did sort of have a town in mind that I was basing my fictional town around. It doesn't take a genius to figure out where it is, but I'll I'll leave that to anyone who's written the book, read the book. (laughs) But the reason I made it fictional is, Absolutely nothing, I, I know of nothing of the like that I'm writing about in the source to have taken place in that town, and I don't want anyone to think that I'm alleging that things did. Mm. So I changed the name. But I also was very careful to pick locations that were could be universal and that would translate to other countries. So I sort of had the vision that if the source, <laughs> in my enormous ego overtaking my imagination, that if it was ever, you know, translated into French, it could be set you know, in Paris and a similar nearby military base or in Madrid and a similar nearby military base. They all have military bases within 50 miles of the capital. So that was the only kind of lateral thinking that I did really.
0: And and how does the newsroom play a role?
1: Oh, it just wrote itself. I mean, as soon as, so the source would sort of back and forth between two separate um, settings. One is a newsroom and the other one is the sort of army base and life around it and the new dream setting it was just all I had to do was kind of go back to being in it and it just wrote itself really you know I had so much to call upon the new dream is such a rich environment for drama because it is a really dramatic experience being in one you know things happen all the time when you're not expecting them to out of the blue you've got a plan you have to change it at the last minute you know you can go a whole day without seeing nothing happening and then five minutes before you're about to leave you know a literal bomb will go off somewhere and it's just all hands to the pump and it's full of characters too because people all have their quirks with dealing with that kind of pace so some people find it easy other people find it more difficult some people have like little rituals how they get things done really quickly i remember when i was working on the programming side You know, my appreciation of time completely changed. Like if someone said, oh, Sarah, you've got three minutes till these headlines need to be ready. I saw that as quite long because it was actually the length of time it would take me to count to 180 in my head. And I knew I could get quite a lot done in that time. Whereas I look back on that now and I think, oh, you know, you've got three minutes before you need to be at school. And I think, oh my God, I'm going to be late. Like there's absolutely no way I'm going to make it. (laughs) And you have these little quirks with how you sort of cope with having to have things done and correct in this tiny space of time. And it's similarly, you know, when you're in the field and you can't make a mistake on the ground because it could make mean the difference between getting the shot, not getting the shot, being in danger, not being in danger, how far to push the risk, how far not to push the risk. And it's just an incredibly fertile environment to call upon when you're writing fiction. You think about how you physically felt in those moments, how your skin felt. Did you taste metal ever when you're panicking? Sometimes you do the adrenaline starts tasting like metal in your mouth. Um, Did you sweat? Did you not sweat? Why did you sweat? Did you change your shirt? Did it matter? Could you smell gunpowder? Could you smell panic? Sometimes you sort of can smell panic because people are sweating and if it's hot, it gets into the air. You can sort of smell it a little bit. So stuff like that, it's very, very useful in that way.
0: Wow. Gosh, that's very, that's very vivid. And, and, and what, what are you working on now? What's your, what's your next book, next project about? Um, so I have already written the second, well, I,
1: I, I was lucky enough to get a two book deal. So there is a second book that's already finished, but it's not a sequel. It's just a completely different story, which I've done, which is a lot more concentrated on so the sources about what you would risk for the truth which is a universal concept and pretty much applies to anyone. You don't have to be a sex abuse survivor or a journalist on the trail of a good story or someone with a past who's trying to understand what happened to them to identify with it as a concept. My second book looks at what you sacrifice to survive, which is also universal because everyone survival comes with sacrifices, all types. But I've set it through the eyes of a photographer And, you know, you think about the photographer often. The photographer always has to look at the pain or look at the subject, look at the suffering, look at the beauty. They can't shy away from it even for like a microsecond. So I always found that a really interesting concept, you know, even when I was in really dangerous locations doing really harrowing stuff you know i could look at the floor occasionally if it became too much but you know the photographer never can and even afterwards in the edit you know they got to look again and again and again at the image they have to color correct things that are sort of unspeakably horrendous so i wanted to look at what you sacrifice to survive through the eyes of the photographer who's obviously taken on an enormous personal sacrifice often to keep doing the job that they're doing and that's the second book but i'm actually working on the third one now Which is in examining what people do to belong. And it's a bit of a, I'm still writing it, still not 100% sure where it's going. But um, I've set it in Israel back in the 90s, where there was still a degree of peaceful collaboration on the ground until Yitzhak Rabin was assassinated by one of his own people. And it's set on a kibbutz, which is um, one of these quite isolationist environments, you know. On the one hand, it's this kind of utopian ideal of subsistence farming, people all living and working together and having the same rights, the same goals, same dreams, except then you discover that they really don't at all. So it's just examining what you do to belong. And the kibbutz gives you the siege situation that lots of writers will then rely on to create tension. You lock a bunch of people in a room and see what happens. That's why you'll find a lot of writers will try and, You know, you get trapped lifts, trapped trains, trapped underground, you know, trapped people trapped in mines. When you put your characters somewhere, they can't escape. They will reveal themselves to each other and to you. And you kind of get a little bit bit of that on a kibbutz, I think. So I'm just playing around with that now, but we'll see.
0: Well, I can't I can't wait to uh, to read it all. Uh, Well, thank you so much for for your time and for your writing.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. I hope you enjoy the books. Thank you for reading them. It's very flattering to think that people are going to.
0: Of course. Gosh, oh, they're amazing. Well, thanks again for your time. Pleasure, Jill. Thanks to everyone who joined us on this episode of How to Build a Village. We look forward to seeing you next time.